Good morning, Living Hope. Good to see you guys. You guys sound good this morning. Great time of worship. Really love that. Um, so we're going to dive into um, our the second message in our Elephant in the Room series this morning. And uh, it is called The Sexy Elephant. It, we're going to look at what God's design is for for uh, sex and sexuality and that sort of thing. And, uh, and, and really more what our response should be. So um, if there's one issue more than any other thing on our social and political landscape uh, today that is uh, a hot-button issue that, that really is a defining issue for our generation, it is, it's this issue. Uh, specifically the issue as it stands around the homosexual lifestyle. Um, and so what we're going to do this morning is take a look at a few verses uh, and, and maybe go in a different direction than what you were anticipating. Uh, and I'll tell you what I'm not going to do as far as this morning's message goes. I'm not going to elevate homosexuality above any other sin because the Bible doesn't do that. It just doesn't. Um, and so what we're going to do instead is I'm going to dive in hard on that topic tonight at 6 o'clock. And I want to invite you all back here tonight at 6 o'clock uh, as we're going to take a look at what the Bible does and doesn't say about that issue. And for some of you who are uh, um, very, uh, let's say, approving of, of homosexual lifestyle, you might be surprised at what the Bible actually says. For some of you who are disapproving of the homosexual lifestyle, you also, uh, I think, will be surprised at what the Bible actually says. And so um, I think a lot of times we approach these scriptures with uh, our own preconceived ideas in in our head, and we read things into them that aren't actually there. And so we're going to take a hard look at what the Bible actually does and doesn't say about this. Um, And so... Uh, I, again, want to invite you back six o'clock tonight. Now, I've said that today's message would be uh, clear for for anybody, you know, fifth grade and above. You know, we, we'd keep it, uh, um, you know, topically in, in a range that they could handle that. I would say tonight, I would say sixth grade and above. We're going to dig into some some uh, some detail about um, historically. Um, that lifestyle and what it was like in, in the time that these the Bible was written. And there'll be some detail there that's going to make some of you uncomfortable. And so you might want to keep your younger kids away. There's no child care tonight. Um, and so we're just going to do a straight Bible study, followed by uh, a Q&A time uh, where we'll give you a chance to comment or, or ask questions. And, uh, and, and that'll be great. So come back tonight. I really think you're going to find this to be a very, very valuable study tonight. Um, <clears throat> For those of you who had, um, uh, you know, pre-existing um, engagements tonight that you can't get out of, uh, we will record tonight and, and make sure it's available online for you to listen to at a later date. Um, so that's happening. So this issue around, again, like I said earlier, the Bible doesn't elevate homosexuality above all the other sins that exist in the world. It just doesn't do that. Uh, in fact, one of the things that we're going to look at tonight is... Uh, I mean, with as, as big a hot-button issue as that topic is in our culture today, and as much as Christians and churches tend to rail against uh, that, that topic, um, you would think that every other page of the Bible mentions the sin of homosexuality. And instead, when you actually look at what, what's in the Word of God, it's six verses. Six verses out of 
you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of pages with super tiny print and very, very thin pages. Uh, and so six verses out of the whole thing. And, and so it, it's not, again, the Bible does not elevate that above anything else. However, the Bible does give a, a decent amount of teaching on sexual sins uh, in general. Um, and, and, it, and it addresses a wide range of topics. Uh, homosexuality, like I said, is mentioned a handful of times, but uh, more, mentioned more often is adultery, um, sleeping with somebody, you know, uh, having sex with someone that's, that's not your spouse, uh, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, um, um, incest. Incest is mentioned more often than, than homosexuality is mentioned, uh, bestiality. Um, all, there's like, again, uh, sex with your in-laws, it, 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 there, there's not a lot that the Bible leaves out when it comes to that topic. Um, although, um, it's, again, it's not like it's every other page, but when the Bible does discuss what are, what are lifestyles, choices, ethics that are, that match up with God's, uh, worldview, God's ethic, um, and his plan for our lives, these things come up. These, these issues come up. And they came up because they were just as like today. These things were an issue in people's lives uh, back then and, and had to be somewhat addressed. Since the Bible doesn't elevate one sin above the other, we're going we're gonna to not do that today. And instead, what I want to look at is what, what is God's design for um, sex? And so Hebrews, if there's one verse that kind of sums it up more than... Uh, more than any other verse maybe in the Bible of, of what kind of God's view on this topic is. It's in Hebrews. Let me open up my little page here. Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 4. It says this. <coughs> let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And this, this is a real kind of uh, small, uh, you know, a compact size verse that that's actually has a lot to say in it that we should as a people esteem marriage marriage relationship between a man and a woman we should esteem that relationship highly and that also that the marriage bed and that's the bible's way of saying sex that sex should be something that is undefiled sex should be something that has a level of purity to it uh, and and is not in, in, in a sense perverted outside of what god intended it to be and there's a lot of different ways that it can come become perverted. Now, everybody comes into this room with different backgrounds, different baggage, different, uh, um, you know, again, some of you, when, when we start discussing this, this topic in church, you're, you know, you tense up, you're just, you're just waiting for me to say something wrong so you can give you a reason to not come back again uh, or, or whatever. And, and so I'm going to do my best not to, not to give you that reason. But, but like I said last week, when we're dealing with this, this, this whole series that we're going to be dealing with all the different topics. Um, I'm going to do my very best to stay away from what my personal opinions are and instead just teach you how the word of God speaks into these areas. Because as, as people who are Christ followers, we are people of the book. We are people of the book. And, and that's one of, you know, in terms of the spiritual leaders of this church, one of our biggest goals for you as a congregation is that you become people of the book. In other words, that you become people who look to the word of God as the ultimate and final authority for, for the decisions of your life. And, and so if when you get to that point in your spiritual maturity that you completely submit to God and his word, 
um, that means there are times when you embrace an ethic that is God's ethic that might go against the ethic of the society that we live in, of the way the media portrays certain things, uh, of whatever. Instead, you make a decision that moving forward, if God's word says it, if God's word teach it, that's, that's where I'm going to stand. That's where I'm going to stand. Um, now, rather than start at the different issues, the different types of sexual sins and that sort of thing, I want to start where Jesus over and over and over again starts. And that is he comes out aggressively with love every single time. He just comes out with a dangerous, risky love Every time he comes, every time he approaches somebody who is living in sin or whatever, he he starts at a place of love. And I think we have for far too long gotten this as Christians so backwards where we stand on issues rather than standing on love. Now, I'm not saying that we avoid truth. The Bible has very, you know clear directions for us in in the way that God would have us to live our lives. And we need to stand with truth, but we need to risk loving in ways that are, that might feel dangerous to us because Jesus, that was his example to us over and over and over again. Instead, what I tend to see, (coughs) pardon me. Instead, what I tend to see and what I think the world around us sees is uh, churches and Christians individually um, just railing against the things that they stand against. Just, just, just over and over. Anytime a, a popular preacher is on an interview on CNN or something like that, and the interviewer, it used to be Larry King, would, would, he would ask this question all the time. A, a interviewer would, will ask, you know, uh, what do you believe about homosexuality per se? And every Christian watching that show just leans in. Like, what's he going to say? Is he going to stand with God? Is he going to stand with me where I stand on this? And if he doesn't, then I'll minimalize him and, and just throw him to the curb. He's a worthless servant of God, you know, whatever. And, and could it possibly be that those people who maybe, if you, if you have a very conservative viewpoint on this, on this topic, could it be that those people who don't answer the way exactly the way you wish that they would answer as boldly as you wish that they would answer could it be not because they don't stand on the truth but rather because they'd rather not burn bridges between the people that they're building relationships and trying to win over to God is that a possibility at all is it a possibility at all instead what often too oftentimes the world sees from us and and uh, and Facebook is the worst playground to watch it all take place. Is they see Christians just railing, just you know, on your your ideas on your blog post, the hateful, close-minded memes that you post, or articles that you share, or videos that you share, or comment. You just rail against this culture, and we were called as people to love this culture that we have been placed into, not to constantly point out where they're wrong. This is, this is such wrong thinking. Paul deals with this very directly in his writings when he says, when I called you not to associate with the, with the sexually immoral, he says, I wasn't talking about the sexually immoral in the world. I was talking about the sexually immoral in your own church. 
He's like, who are you? You have no ability to change the lives of the people outside the church. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Instead, he's like, he's like, weed out the weeds that are amongst your own family. Deal with what's going on in your own house. Who are you to go speak? It's like, like so many of us feel like it's our responsibility to tell the world, like go door to door and kind of poke our head around and go, oh, you're sinning. And that's not what we're called to do. It's just not what we're called to do. Instead, the example Jesus gives us is an example of love. Now, when it comes to sexual sins, sexual sins have been around as long as there's been sex. And by the way, God's design for sex, it was always meant as a gift to us. A gift to us. It's not like God is, you know, up in heaven hating sex. Like, ah. It's like, I think some people have this idea in their head that, you know, in the Garden of Eden, God creates a man and then he creates a woman and they're walking around naked in the garden. And, and he's like, ah, oh, look how close they are to each other. And, and then he's like, oh, my me, what are they doing? You know, I mean, like, like what, I did not see that coming. No, he designed that that way, right? He designed it that way. He knew exactly what it was he was designing. He meant for it to feel good, right? He meant for it to be something that was enjoyable. He meant for it to be something that would, that would uh, provide a greater sense of intimacy between two people. And he meant for it to take, context, for, to take place within the context of a marriage. That's, that was his design for the whole thing. That God is not anti-sex. God is actually very pro-sex. And this idea that's also out there that, that sex was only for procreation. It's all about having babies. You're not meant to enjoy it. Or, that's not in the Bible either. Paul talks about how, how he, he says, he says uh, women, uh, your body is not your own. Rather, it's your husband's. And he says, husbands, your body is not your own. It's your wife's. In other words, you're there kind of in mutual submission and mutual sacrifice to each other, serving one another in this way, serving one another in this way that it should be something that you offer freely. I remember as a young man, my whole thought about uh, sex, you know, when I finally would get married, I just had this idea that it was just going to happen all the time. Like it was just going to, you know, like it, it was like breakfast, lunch and dinner and and. And why wouldn't it be that way, right? And, and, and then when you get married, you realize, okay, it's not quite, you know, you got to skip a meal once in a while. And, uh, and, and so, so it's not quite that, that, uh, you know, like that, but, but, but it does require, you know, some, some mutuality and some, some sacrifice and some things on, on and, and, and giving of yourself to, to your spouse. It requires, it, all of that is wrapped up into it. Guys, we're at Living Hope, we're not anti Sex. I grew up in youth groups that, and I've said this a lot of times, I've had this conversation with Matt before, that if we're not careful, our youth groups, our kids will walk away from them thinking that all there is to following Jesus is don't drink, don't drug, do drugs, and don't have sex. And that is, that is not what following Jesus Christ is all about. It's not what it's all about at all. In fact, I said this earlier, I'll say it again today, living hopers should be having more sex than anybody in this town. We, that God has called us to, in the context of marriage to, to enjoy that and love that and, 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 and be fulfilled in that, that, that it's a very important life, part of the lives that he's called us uh, to experience. And so what I want to do, rather than rail against the sin, is let's start out at love where Jesus starts always. 
and, uh, and see what he has to say. So I'm going to read a passage from John chapter 15 that may not be the, the passage you thought I was going to read this, uh, this morning. But it's John chapter 15. <coughs> Start with verse 12. Get a drink. <coughs> All right, so Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He says... You want to see the most beautiful picture of love. It's somebody laying down their life for a friend. Somebody laying down their life for a friend. I don't think as Christians, as, as kind of modern church people, I don't think we do this enough. I really don't. I think we get so wrapped up into, and it's kind of this American way of thinking. We're all about our rights and our freedoms and, and you know, we got to fight for things and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and Jesus paints this picture of you want to know what true love looks like. It doesn't look like a hateful post on Facebook. It doesn't look like you railing against people who live their lives different than you. It looks like laying your life down. Laying your, and we don't do a very good job at this, folks. We just don't. Now, I, I include myself in that. We don't do a very good job at this. But this is who we're called to be as people who are followers of Jesus Christ, as people of the book, we're called to lay our lives down. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do for another person is to not demand your own way. Can, can I just, can I, can I put a, a kind of popular myth outside of your head real quickly? Um, things are not going to get better in this nation. They're just not. That's not the way the world works. Uh, when, when certain laws get passed and certain things happen socially and things become, you know, things that you look at, look at as sinful become more and more acceptable and normal, this should not be a surprise to us. This world that we live in, they're not following Jesus. They're just, most of them aren't. You're, you're, you're in a small group of people who actually live by this book and follow our Savior. You're, you're in the minority. And this world is just not going to get better um, just because we stand for something a certain way. That's just not the way the world works. But this should not, <coughs> this should not bother us too much. It just shouldn't. The world has always got worse and worse and worse. It'll continue to get worse and worse and worse. But the harvest gets more and more plentiful. The people who are living outside of God's plan for their life and finding their lives just crumbling around them and eventually crying out for something that can make a difference in their lives, that group of people grows and grows and grows more and more every single day. And this is a great time to be alive if you're a Christian. 
Because there are people out there starving, starving for the gospel. And shame on us if we keep it to ourselves or shame on us if we pervert it in such a way that we turn it into some sort of weird message of hate. Shame on us. We need to lay down our lives for our friends. I'm not saying lay down your morals. I'm not saying lay down your principles. I'm saying step off the hate wagon and begin to lay down your life for your friends. Now, I want to point out to you this morning four different ways that you can lay down your life for your friends who are living in sexual sin. This, this outline, I'm adapting it from a message that some of us heard at a counseling training this last fall. Uh, it was just a fantastic message. His, his message was directed very specifically uh, towards homosexuals. Uh, I, I'm broadening that scope. Like I said, I don't want to elevate that sin above any other sin this morning. Uh, we'll deal with that, uh, that topic very specifically tonight when we look at what the Bible actually says and doesn't say. But for this morning, I don't want to elevate it. Instead, I want us to just kind of the general topic of people who live in sexually sinful lifestyles. How can we, as followers of Jesus Christ, how can we lay our lives down for them? And so the first one is this. We need to be a people who will love God-honoring marriage and God-honoring singleness. We need to love God-honoring marriage and God-honoring singleness. When we, uh, uh, as, as church leaders and, and counselors, when we try to help you in your marriages uh, grow closer to God and closer to each other uh, so that your marriage begins to thrive, not just simply survive or, a worst-case scenario, completely fail, um, when we do this, it is not so much about you. And, and, and the Bible teaches us that our marriage and the health of our marriage should not be just about ourselves. In other words, I shouldn't, I shouldn't merely be trying to have a healthy marriage just because it'll make me feel better and it'll make my wife feel better. Instead, when the reason that we need to love God honoring marriage is because what marriage does is it points God-honoring marriage points to Jesus Christ. It points to the gospel. When people look at your marriage, and it's a God-honoring marriage, and it's a healthy, happy, loving, sacrificing marriage, when they see that, they're, they're drawn to that. I've, seen, I've heard many of you tell, tell me stories of, of people in your life that would look at the marriage between you and your spouse and go, Man, someday I want that for my life. What you guys have together, I want that for my life. And it's not so much that they think you're so great. There's something they can't quite put their finger on. And it's this, that when they look at your God-honoring marriage, what they see is Jesus. What they see is Jesus. And if we're going to call people to a higher standard of living, or if we're going to talk a big game about the sanctity of marriage, then let's start in our own houses and let's actually live sanctified marriages. Let's actually live marriages that are glorifying to God. And this is not just about marriage, folks. For all of you who are single in the room, you're called to live God-honoring single lives. Let the way that you live a life as a single person, rather than point people to you and what kind of person you are or how you're handling things or whatever. Let the way you live point people to Jesus. Let the example that you set point people to Jesus. Find, you know, I, I, a lot, it's not true of all, but, but there are a lot of uh, single people that I've counseled with over the years 
They just seem to walk. And again, I'm not talking to all. I know I'm making a generalization here. But many that I've counseled with will seem to just kind of walk in this. It's almost like a state of mourning until God provides that person that will fulfill them. Like, like they, 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 just, they just reach out and just cry out constantly for God to, will you, will you, I need this person in my life. I need a husband. I need a wife in my life. I need to be fulfilled in this way. And, it, and it ju- they just walk in an almost like a, a mourning or a sadness over this issue in their life. What if you made a decision that rather than seeking fulfillment in another person, which, by the way, will never be able to fulfill you. For those of you who are married, the same principle applies to you, too. When you get married and you expect your husband to be the thing that brings fulfillment in your life, or you expect your wife to be the thing that brings fulfillment in your life, you will live a life of disappointment because it will not happen. It, you'll have goo-goo moments and romantic moments, and you'll, have, you'll, you'll just have you know, all kinds of great, strong feelings, and you'll feel a, a sense of, of, of completeness uh, through a union with another person that maybe you didn't feel before. But when you, put, uh, when you expect a person, another human being, to fulfill in your life what only God can feel, they will crumble under the weight of that expectation. That, it, that expectation will just crush them. They will not be able to hold it up. And so what if single people and married people, what if rather than looking to another person for your fulfillment and your happy, happiness, what if you began to look to your Savior, Jesus Christ, as to the one who would bring you the ultimate fulfillment in your life, to the one who would be your giver of joy? What if you began to look at Jesus in that way and live your life in a place of joy and love and sacrifice for other people, not focused on you, not focused on your own needs selfishly and that sort of thing. Instead, just focused on Jesus and allow his joy to kind of radiate through you. You know what happens when you start to live lives like that? People don't see you anymore. They see Jesus. They see Jesus. You want to, you want to give, lay your life down for your friends who are walking in sexual sin, then you do it by by living God-honoring marriage and God-honoring singleness. Another thing that you can do is you love them by acknowledging their sinfulness. I love them by acknowledging their sinfulness. Now, it may sound contradictory because we tend to be a, a, uh, you know, a people that doesn't like conflict and that sort of thing. Um, but when I say love them by acknowledging your, their sinfulness, what I'm saying is this, that it is not love to notice someone in danger and say nothing about it. That's not love. That's just cruelty. It's just cruelty. And we need to love people enough to actually uh, be honest with them and truthful with them about their sinfulness. Now, this begins to feel very judgmental. And, and okay, where are you going with this, Jeff? Again, let's talk about the context of the church. In the context of the church, as, as, you're, as you guys are my brothers and sisters in Christ, you're part of this family that I'm in uh, as well. If I see one of you begin to go in a dangerous direction with your life and with the choices that you're making, out of love, I will step in and I'll say, hey, we need to get together and talk. I've been noticing some things, some decisions you've been making. It's just got me concerned because I love you. And I know, I know you could point out a dozen things that I'm doing wrong too. But again, I just love you. And I just want to, you know, let's talk about what God's word says about this. Let's just talk. 
And, and when, when you do that, when you do that in a way that you're not lording over people, instead you're saying, hey, we're all screwed up in this, and I, I just care about you. Can we talk about this? People will respond well to that. People feel love when you communicate love. Now, when it comes to people outside the church, people who aren't following Jesus Christ, we don't have any business going around telling them about how sinful they are. We don't need to do that. We just don't need to do that. Our, our call is to the people here in this church. And the way this works out in my life is I, if, I, if, I'm at, you know, if I'm working with somebody or, or becoming friends with somebody in my neighborhood or at a little league or something like that and just getting close and developing a relationship with them and doing life with that person, getting to know them better and better. And at some point that person says, you know, what do you think about this decision that I'm making? What do you think about the fact that I'm living with my girlfriend or living with my boyfriend? Um, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? My first response is, okay, I'm going to answer your question, but first I want you to remember how much love and respect and honor I've shown you up until this point, how I haven't judged you. I haven't tried to attack your choices or anything like that. And I'll continue to act that way towards you moving forward. But you asked this question. You brought it up. You want to know where I am on this. And where I am has nothing to do with how I feel, but about what God's word says. And so what I'll do is I'll share with you what God's word says. And I've, I've found in my life that when I approach people that way with, with love and respect and standing on the authority of the word of God, not my own authority in any way, people receive that. And they, they may say, well, I don't necessarily agree with that. Or that may be a little outdated way of thinking or whatever, but I appreciate you being honest with me. And we can carry on and have a friendship. I've never had anybody cut me off by having that conversation with them. Never had that happen. It's all about your approach. It's about the way you approach people. And a loving thing to do is to be truthful with people, even about their sinfulness. Now, remember Jesus' teaching about, you know, you need to get the plank out of your own eye before you try to pull the splinter out of somebody else's. Again, we don't stand on our own moral authority. We stand on the authority of the Word of God. Does that make sense? All right. Third thing is this. We need to love them enough to point them to change. Love them enough to point them to change. It's not enough for us to just say, yeah, you're doing that wrong. That's not the way God wants you to live your life. Instead, we need to point them to the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the hope that things don't have to stay dead, that things uh, have life moving forward, the hope that God is still in the business of life change. And we point them towards life change. And as we do this, as we point people towards life change, um, uh, because here's the thing. Let's let's use the the topic of, of homosexuality for a second. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's extremely unpopular in our society to suggest that somebody can change from that lifestyle. Extremely unpopular. Like, like you will be publicly crucified if you suggest that somebody could somehow turn from that, choose a different lifestyle other than that. It is, it is not a popular notion. And I think a lot of this comes back, comes from a, stems from a, a history of, uh, either churches or churchy type groups doing what they used to call reparative therapy, where if you go, you know, to this kind of, you know, it's like an intense counseling, we're going to ungay you, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, uh, and, and actually that, that whole model of reparative therapy has nothing to do with the gospel. 
And this is why it has nothing to do with the gospel. Because reparative therapy assumes that the fix for your life is if, if we can get you to like boys or if we can get you to like girls. If we can do that, if we can just kind of realign your attractions, then everything will be fine with your life. But that's not the, what, what the Bible teaches. Jesus didn't come to make you like boys or make you like girls. That's not the gospel. Jesus came to bring you life and life abundantly. He came to set you, he didn't come to set people free from adultery. He didn't come to set people free from homosexuality. He didn't come to set people free from whatever sin it is that you struggle with. He came to set us free from the problem of sin in general as it, as it, as it, has kind of weight and control over this world. The cross was about him setting the human race free, not about ungaying the population. That's not what this is about. And so when we offer people hope for change, it's not this hope that, because here's what reparative therapy is so twisted at times. They actually, and these are Christians that will do this. They'll actually, uh, you know, force people to watch different brands of pornography to hope to try to realign their way of thinking. Do you know how twisted that is? Do you know how twisted that is? That is so sick and messed up. This is not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about us introducing people to the creator of all things and the lover of life and the one who laid down his life for all mankind, making that introduction between people. And then at some point we take a step back and we just let Jesus and the Holy Spirit do what only Jesus and the Holy Spirit can do. We're, our job is not life change. We just arrange the introductions. The Holy Spirit is about life change. And the Holy Spirit is still in the business of changing lives, all types of lives. The fourth thing that we can do is that we love them by giving up the comfort of our protected lives. We love them by giving up the comfort of our protected lives. Christians and churches today, I think especially in this country, have fallen into this weird, sick trap of kind of creating this unhealthy Christian bubble that we all try to live in. Like I don't have any friends outside of my church. I don't even have friends in other churches. I just, I just stick with my own church. Right. And and I don't have, I don't have any, you know, I don't associate with people at work that aren't Christians, you know, other than what I have to, if there's a birthday cake and we have a share a piece of cake together, I guess I'll do that. But, but, and I don't, I don't, I only listen to Christian music and I only put my kids in Christian schools and I only do this. It's just, it's, we create this big, weird, unhealthy Christian bubble. That is not what the Bible calls us to be. That's not how he's called us to live. Now, some of you have already put up a block and you're saying, are you saying it's wrong for me to send my kids to Christian schools? And I'm no, it's absolutely not wrong for you to send your kids to a Christian school. It's it's perfectly fine. As long as you do that prayerfully, as long as you feel God leading you into that. However, I would say this, if the reason you make that decision is because you're trying to some way just completely shelter your kids from the outside world, I would challenge you to pray harder about that decision. Because here's what I know. I've never tried to shelter my kids from the outside world. The world comes at us hard and fast, and it's ugly at times. But what when I allow my kids to live life with me instead of protecting and sheltering all the time, then rather than creating this bubble where they never get to face the world as a whole, 
Rather than doing that, what I do is I create opportunities to do with my kids what we're all supposed to do with our kids, which is disciple them. Disciple them. And if you are actively discipling your kids and you feel like a Christian school is the best choice for your kids, then by all means, do that. Follow God in that. But don't live these lives where we just, we kind of cordon ourselves off from the rest of the world and become this big, unhealthy, holy huddle that, that the, it's hard for the rest of the world to break into. It's just, that's just sick and it's just twisted and it's not, it's not the, what, the life that God has called us to live. Instead, we're called to be salt and light difference makers in this world. We're called to that kind of life. So for some of you, the best thing you could do moving forward is to actually build genuine friendships, genuine friendships with people who are living lives that you don't agree with. Genuine friendships. I'm not just talking about like, I, well, you know, whenever we talk about, say, you know, the homosexual thing. Well, I got a gay friend. I'm not talking about, you know, your token gay friend. I'm talking about people that you share your life with, people that you share table meals with, people that you invite into your home, whether it's whoever, whatever their issue is, whatever their, whatever their struggle is, whatever the case may be, that you actually seek out people who are living lives that you do not agree with and earn the right to speak truth into their life. Earn the right. It's one of the most cowardly things for you to do is to just stand on some weird idea of truth and just shout it from the hilltops all over Facebook with no repercussions ever. There's not even a dislike button on Facebook. People can't even dislike it, right? It's just so cowardly for you to just stand out there and go, yeah, this and this and this, and, and you don't care. Instead, how about you actually get involved in the lives of people? Because this is the example that Jesus set. Jesus, God in the flesh. He comes down to earth. We, we read about it in the, in the Word of God. And the description of Jesus that we get in the Word of God that we've talked about recently is, is that he regularly, after he would finish teaching or whatever, he would go eat with known sinners and people who are the outcasts of their society. This is who he spent his time with. This is who he ate and drank with around the table in their homes. This is who he partied with. He, <coughs> Jesus, like what was just drawn to people who didn't live lives that he agreed with. Why? Because when you start living lives with those people, that's when you get to see life change happen. But if you sanitize every area of your life, can I just, you're missing out on a multitude of miracles. You're missing out on a multitude of miracles when you scrub clean every area of your life and try to push out anybody, you know, that you might disagree with. We need to be a people who learn how to disagree in love, to disagree in love, to love a person, even if we disagree with the way that they live. And I'm not just saying, like, again, kind of token sentiments. I mean, to genuinely love that person, to lay your life down for that person. This is the life that we're called to live in Jesus Christ. Folks, we've gotten this wrong. We've gotten this way wrong. I'm not trying to justify anybody's choices or anybody's 
lifestyles that are outside the word of God. I'm just saying when I read the Bible, it, it appears to me, especially when you read through the life of Jesus, what matters to him more than perfection is love. And we are not doing a good enough job at this. Amen. And we need to do a better job at this. So I want to challenge you. Dig in hard into the lives of people that you don't see eye to eye with. And when I say dig in hard, I don't mean put up a good argument. I mean, love them, share meals with them, exchange gifts with them, go on picnic with them, whatever, whatever. But share your life with people that are different from you. This is the life of love that we're called to. And this is what I think. If you begin to do this with somebody that you disagree with on lifestyle choices, you might that disagreement might never be rectified. But what you'll do is you'll teach them that Christ followers and Christ's church aren't the hateful, bigoted, ugly people that this world thinks that we are. Does it not break your heart that the world looks at us that way? Because you, I know you, and you know me. I know we're not that way. So let's be more active in curbing that impression. Let's be more active to get out there and really genuinely love in ways that make us uncomfortable and stretch us and make us more Christ-like. Make us more Christ-like. This is what we're called to. So we're going to dismiss in prayer. But I really want to invite you to come back tonight because you guys know as well as I do, the real elephant in the room around this topic is around this issue of homosexuality. It's the kind of generation defining issue of our times. So I want want you to kind of come tonight and let's dig in together. And again, let's look at what the Bible actually says and what it doesn't say, what conclusions we can legitimately draw from what's there, and then talk a little bit more about how we can move forward. Okay, come back tonight at six o'clock. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And um, I want to ask your forgiveness. I want to ask you uh, to forgive me for when it is far too easy for me to attack from a distance. When I stand on principles with no thought to the way that I take that stand and how it might hurt, damage, destroy people that you've called me to love. Forgive me of that. Help me to be more like you. God, help us to be a church that is known for our love, not just within these walls, not just at our homes, not just in our neighborhoods or at work, but even, even in something that might seem as insignificant to us as our, the, the presence we have online. God, help us to really and truly be a people of love. Stretch us. Make us more like you. God, I want to lift up everybody in the room uh, right now that, that might be struggling with some sort of sexual sin. Maybe there's somebody here who um, is living, sleeping with, out of marriage, uh, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe there's 
somebody here who is being unfaithful to their spouse. Whatever the sexual sin may be, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just ring loud in their ears right now and that you would call them into the the kind of life change and the kind of holiness that only you can bring about. That you would bring healing to people's lives. That you would uh, take them from a place of, of, um, of, of spiritual sickness to a place of spiritual victory. That you would change us in ways that we're powerless to change ourselves. So we trust you for this. God, we give ourselves to you one more time and we ask you to help us be the church that you want us to be. Help us be a church that is honoring to you, glorifying to you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.